It has been said that the Psalms are the hymnal of the Old Testament, right? They are, what they are are these expressions of the heart in poetic form put to song. And while we don't know, of course, the original song tunes, we nonetheless go to them. And I think they're probably maybe the go-to place in the Bible to deal with the emotions and the expressions of your heart, um, good or bad, frustrated or delighted. Um, I, I like the way one pastor put it. He said, the Psalms aren't the counseling textbook of the Bible. Like a counseling textbook would be, you know, you're learning to, to be a counselor. So here's what you say. Here's what you don't say. Here's what you ask. Here's what you don't ask. Those things. He says, it's not that. It's rather, it's more the counseling casebook. It's filled with so many people, uh, so many expressions, even anonymous expressions of people who are wrestling with life, who are wrestling with what's going on in their life, the circumstances and everything that they can see, and putting that in terms with God's word. It's like, here's what's happening, here's what's going on in my life, here's the frustrations, but, but here's what God says, and here's how I'm feeling, but here's where God's truth is, and it's this struggle, it's this wrestling match. Oftentimes, not every psalm, but oftentimes the psalms are kind of this, this self-talk therapy session that, that a person's having with themselves, trying to basically verbalize out loud their struggle of what they see and what God promises and meshing them together. And I would propose to you that certainly at the beginning of Psalm 103 and then throughout, this is what is going on right here in this psalm. Psalm 103, if you don't have it bookmarked in your Bibles, uh, please do it. Go home and bookmark it in your Bibles because this is a psalm that is able to help you with everyday life and with every problem that you face in life. This is a psalm that has the power to lift you out of whatever pit it is in life that you're feeling, whether it's a pit of despair a pit of depression, a pit of anger, if you're frustrated, if you're upset, if you're just off in your spirit, if you're just off in your life, this is a go-to psalm because you kind of get the impression that that's actually what the original author of this psalm was doing as they're expressing this psalm out loud. The original author, of course, being David. Now, I know it's not written in your worship folders, uh, forgive me for that, but the first two inspired words of this psalm are actually just simply put, of David. He wrote it, and the, and the guy who wrote it, David, knew a thing or two about being off in his life. He knew a thing or two about going through some pits of despair and loneliness and anger and frustration and fill in the blank. He knew uh, you think about his, the beginning of his life, he was hunted and hated by his master and mentor, King Saul, right? For no reason other than Saul was jealous of him, Saul knew the throne was going to go to him, and so he thought, I'm going to off David. And so David, for years of his life, was on the run, just trying to stay alive, right? And then finally, when God allows him to come into power, he becomes king, you think, okay, maybe the roller coaster ride gets to calm down and settle down a bit, but it gets even more dramatic. Because David makes a royal mess of things, right? Adultery with Bathsheba, the killing of Uriah, the cover-up of Uriah, and he had to feel the effects of his sin for the rest of his life, for the rest of his reign, having eventually a son who grew up to hate his dad, 
to despise him, to spend years coming up with lies and deceits and a plot to form a coup that came this close to killing David, his own father. David knew what a hectic and messed up and chaotic life is. And he's an expert at what he's talking about. We don't know exactly which one of the events it was in David's life. Maybe something we don't even have recorded. That was uh, the the genesis of this psalm. But uh, you don't really need to know what. You don't need to know the exact circumstance because that's the beauty of this psalm and really a lot of the psalms is they make it so relatable. Because did you notice who, who, whom is the audience? To whom is David speaking? Like he's speaking, but right away at first, he's not speaking to a generic you, reader, person who happens to be listening to this psalm. This is, he's speaking to himself. Look what he says in the very first verse. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. You have to make sure you understand that this is a conversation he's having with himself, with his soul. It is so good to understand that because the person who is most influential in your life is you. The person who talks to yourself the most is you. Now, I'm not talking about when you're at the office or when you're in your room and you're just talking to yourself, and someone comes around and says, hey, who are you talking to? Uh, no one, you know, and you look kind of like a crazy person. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this inner voice. That's what David's talking about, this inner voice that just interprets all the events, all the things, everything that's going on and on. And so often, our, one of our problems is we let this voice just do all the talking. We let this voice, this soul, do all the, the talking, do all the interpreting, and we just listen along. But you notice that David says, wait. You be quiet here for a second. I need to talk to you. I'm going to tell you, no, here's what you need to do. You need to praise the Lord. And you get this kind of sense that there's a tension right away at the beginning of this, 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 this psalm. Praise the Lord. Now, come on, soul. Get with the program, soul. Praise the Lord. My, my inmost being, everything that's within me, praise him. Come on, what's going on? It's like, why would you have to ask, why would you have to tell your soul to praise him? Because there's something getting in the way of that praise. There's something that is going on that is keeping you from praising him. And so he says, no, 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 no. I have to talk. I have to tell my soul to get with the program. I have to tell it the truth rather than it telling me how it feels and that's the truth. And if David has to do this, if David has to tell himself to praise the Lord, then can I ask you, do you have to do the same thing? Maybe I'll ask it this way. What is getting in the way of your praise? And I'm not talking about just praise like, hey, we come here, we listen to the word, and we sing some songs. But praise is an attitude. It's a posture of the heart. It's a way of interpreting everything that is going around in life and just saying, this is a slingshot up to God, a trampoline to magnify my heart to him. It, it's, it's a way of looking and saying, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever, you, whatever it is that you do, right? Do it to the glory of God. It's everything. It's an attitude of the heart. Is that yours? Or has there been some failure of praise in your life lately? What is getting in the way of your praise? 
And maybe you think of that question and you think, well, there's circumstances, there's people, there's drama, there's life, there's issues. And while that may be true, what David suggests is that actually those are symptoms of a deeper problem. Because what gets in the way of your praise, my praise, David's praise, here's what he says. He answers it. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Simply put, the thing that gets in the way of our praise, one of our biggest problems that we have as followers of God in our lives, is gospel amnesia. We forget the gospel. And I mean that at large. We forget the goodness of God. We forget what he's done and who he is and his character and all of these promises. And maybe you look at that and you say to yourself, well, okay, time out, pastor. <laughs> like, I haven't forgotten anything. Okay, I still know what Jesus did. I see a cross. I can tell exactly all my friends exactly what Jesus did on a cross, how he died for me, how he gave me his righteousness, how he gave me his his life in place of my sins. I know John 3.16. I know God's goodness. And I don't doubt that. But understand, the word forget here in this context isn't just talking about a mental recall. He's talking about his soul, his inmost being. It's not just simply being able to regurgitate these facts and these nuggets of knowledge in your mind. It's your inner soul that is forgetting because your inner soul is being gripped by something else, by some other situation, by some other circumstance, and, and it forgets the goodness of God and it misaligns you with everything else so you can know all this stuff up here but not act on it because your soul is gripped by something else. Now, I realize that this is kind of abstract, so I want to try to make this as simple as possible and put this in an illustration. Let's say that it's uh, the evening before my kids go to bed, and my boy's downstairs, he's watching his favorite cartoon on TV, his eyes just glued right to the TV like a young kid, right? right? And I go down the stairs, and I kind of lean on the rail, look at him, and I say, hey, bud, uh, we got some ice cream you can come on up and eat. And his eyes sit there glued on the TV, and he just says, uh-huh, okay. And I stand there on the rail, and I, th I think to myself, did he hear me? So I look at him, and I say, did you hear what I said? Eyes glued to the TV, yeah, uh-huh, you said you've got some ice cream, and we can come up and eat. Wait a second, you've got ice cream, and we can come up and eat, and then he grabs the remote, turns the TV off, and comes on up. Now, what happened the first time that was different than the second time? Well, the first time, it went in his mind. He heard it. He could regurgitate the information to me, absolutely. But the second time, this may seem a little silly, but it, he took it deep down. It went into his soul. He realized it. Wait a second, the beauty of it. And his whole being acted upon that, and he came up, right? That's... What David is talking about here, all my inmost being, do not forget all of his benefits. This is the reason why there are so many times we can hear the gospel. We can hear the goodness of God. We can hear the best news in the world, right? And receive it with a... Ooh. All right, what's next? That we can hear... 
the goodness of God and say, thanks, Pastor, but how's that going to pay for the bills? Yep, that's great. Jesus loves me. That's awesome. How's that going to solve this problem? How's that going to get me a date? How's that going to take care of this person in my life? Yeah, good, great, awesome. It's, it's not practical for me right now. Your soul's not gripped. You know it, but there's something getting in the way. Your soul is acting on something else. It's forgetting. It's not penetrating. It's not getting there. It's like it goes in one ear and out the other sometimes. We say, it's up here, but it's not in your heart. We might say, on the flip side of that, this is the reason why it's really cool to be a pastor sometimes. I think sometimes people forget that I can see your faces and your expressions. But this is the reason why sometimes as something as simple as a confession and absolution at the beginning of a service as a, as a gospel is being preached in a message, in the word, I can look and I can see even Lutheran faces <laughs> smiling or crying. Why sometimes when we come up for the Lord's Supper and I can see someone with maybe tears or maybe just a joyful expression, they get it. They're getting the goodness they're remembering it. They're taking it in. Why I can have someone, true story, come into my office and confess this years loath, multiple years of, of guilt about this one thing that they feel they are solely responsible for and they failed and they failed and they failed and they've tried to do everything they can to deal with it and they've heard the gospel so many times through so many services but they just are not hearing it and, and, and as they confess to me, all I do is open up to Psalm 32 and we read these words, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin and I tell her, I say, now you put your name there and you forgave the guilt of sin. And she busts out into an ugly cry that is so beautiful, but you see this weight lifted off of her shoulders. Years worth of guilt, but finally it was no longer just a generic truth, it was personal. She took it in. This is why I can, I can have someone in my ministry who is diagnosed with a terminal disease, told they have months to live, and this person is just beaming with hope and joy. And the people who, who are picture-perfect health condition are more devastated and more distraught than this person. How? How can you have so much peace? How can you have so much hope? Because she takes it in. Because she remembers. And she can't help but praise in everything she does. She owns it. Maybe another way to illustrate it. This is a secular story. Um, it's actually... Um, a story that's attributed to Native American uh, tribes, I think the Cherokee tribe. Uh, if, you, if you were to Google this story, you could. It's, it's basically called uh, The Story of Two Wolves. The story goes like this. There's a grandfather who is trying to impart some wisdom on his grandson. And so the grandfather tells his grandson, I want to tell you, there's this battle going on within me. A war. And the war, it's kind of like it's between two wolves. One good, one bad. The first wolf, he says, is basically representing everything that's evil. Anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, ego. 
And then he looks at his grandson, still glued to his grandfather. He goes on, he says, now the second wolf, though, represents all that's good. He's joy, he's peace, he's love, he's hope, he's serenity, he's humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion. And he says, both wolves are fighting to the death. And he says to his grandson, that same battle, that war in me is going on in you and is going on in every single person there is. And so as his grandson takes a moment to process everything, he looks at his grandfather and says, so which one will win? And his grandfather says, whichever one you feed. Now I realize it's a secular story, but I believe it helps illustrate this spiritual truth that God is teaching us, right? You can have any number of circumstances happen to you, and there's basically two ways you can approach dealing with that circumstance. You can allow your soul, which is so tainted by the sin that you inherited from your parents that there is nothing good in it in and of itself, you can allow it to just interpret it the way it is. Well, I stink. Well, I'm miserable. And you know misery loves company and you can just feed that misery and you can just feed into the lies and all of the stuff and interpret it in the worst possible ways, in the negative most possible ways, that you're not good enough and all that. Or, or, you can tell that soul, be quiet, and you can say, yes, I've got all of this stuff going on, but here's God. And do you remember all of his benefits? And you can remind that soul of all the goodness of God in spite of your circumstances that you can say, soul, my feelings are not facts, and here are the facts. You want to know what the facts are? You want to know what reality really is? Let me tell you about God, and let me tell you who he is. Let me remind you of all those benefits, and that's what David does here. Do not forget his benefits here. What are his benefits? Well, here we go. The first one, I love it, who forgives all your sins. I love it because it's not just pastors who talk about this, but David himself basically being a pastor and says, first and foremost, forgiveness. He says, that's the best thing, isn't it? Like the, the sin, the guilt, the shame that you and I carry around every single day and God forgives it. If you jump down to verse 12, I think he says, as far as the east is from the west, right? As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes your sins from you. If you're struggling with guilt, if you're struggling with a sin, here's something you can go do. North is that way. All right. Go look at the eastern horizon outside and go look at the western horizon outside. Get a good sense of how far apart they are. Then get in your car and pick a direction and go. Go five miles, go 50 miles, go 500 miles if you have to. Get out of your car, look at the east, western horizon, look at the eastern horizon again, and then say, how far apart are they? And of course, I'm being a little silly, but you get it. They never touch. They're infinitely far from one another. That's the point. God has taken your sin and he has removed it. He has forgiven it. And you know where he put it? He put it onto his son. And you know what he did to his son? He gave him the punishment that your and my sin absolutely deserves. Now what would a punishment be fitting of someone who forgets or ignores God? What would a punishment be fitting for that? Wouldn't it be to forget or ignore the other person? Adam and Eve, 
They sinned. They messed up. They, they ignored what God had to say about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I asked my catechism students every single year, if you were God, what would you do? And through the myriad of answers, oftentimes I get a number of students saying, I would be done with them. They didn't want me. I wouldn't want them. I'd kick them out and I'd have nothing to do with them. Yeah. That's precisely what hell is, isn't it? It's not the fire. It's not the brimstone. It's not... It's God saying, you ignored me, I'm going to ignore you. You want to forget me, you want to do life without me, then fine, have it your way, here you go. There is no good thing, there is no grace. There's, and how did Jesus endure that? When on that cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, forgotten me, ignored me? Why? Because that's what he should have done for you and me. But he did it to Jesus so that he would never do it to you. So that he can't. It is impossible for God to forget you because he already took care of that sin. He already paid, he already took out his punishment on on his son, right? He can't forget you. He can't ignore you. And if this was the only thing, that that if David just simply said, who forgives all your sins, period, Psalm 104, uh, if that was the only thing, that would be enough. That would be more than enough for your whole, your, your, yourself to praise God. But he goes on. He says this. He says, heals all your diseases. We've got a couple prayer requests uh, later on in the service. And you guys know when the medicine is great, but who's behind the medicine? Who's behind the science uh, that makes the science work? It's God. And he gets all the praise. He gets all the credit. He gets all the glory for that, right? Who redeems your life from the pit, Now, if you take that literally, if there's a part of you that is afraid of death, because of God, he says, you do not need to fear it. Jesus didn't just die. He rose, right? And he rose as the first fruits, and that means that you too will rise in him. And that means that what you have to look forward to, you don't have to fear it. You get to look forward to it. An existence of without sin, without suffering, without pain, without sadness. An existence with God. That is amazing. Now, if you take it metaphorically, who redeems your life from the pit, what is it that you're in? You know, this, this pit of suffering, this pit of despair, this pit of loneliness, whatever it is, and you feel like there's just no way out of this pit, and the psalmist David knows better, and he says, no, 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 no. He redeems you. He is right there with you. Trust him. He is not going to leave you. He is not going to forsake you. He is not going anywhere. He goes on, crowns you with love and compassion. Are you so distraught over what someone else said, how someone else rejected you, some criticism that you got? He says, since when do you build your life on what they think? I crown you with love and compassion. I value you. I think the world of you. I set my son to die for you. That is what God thinks of you, who satisfies your desires with good things. Like every single thing that you have in your life that's good, it comes from God. And we could go on and on and on and dissect every single one of these verses that are so, so good. We could talk about how he provides justice for the oppressed, how he how he reigns and rules over all things, therefore you don't have to fear. Here's the point. What is getting in the way of your praise? Is there a pit of emotion that you're in? 
Is there something that your soul is forgetting about God? Then take this psalm and do not just read it. Preach it to your soul again and again. Slowly take in every single thing until your soul is gripped with the goodness of God, with his love, with his compassion. And then your whole being has no choice but to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, all my, all your inmost being, praise his holy name. Amen.